What is this supposed to do? Just a mild sedative to help you sleep. I hate you. We don't hate you. There's no need for hate now. Or love. I love you, Matthew. There are people that will fight you, David. They'll stop you. In an hour. You won't want them to. So uh, the main review for this week is going to be the Coen Brothers' latest. Um, I was about to say Oscar Bovera, but not really. Um, but we'll, I suppose we'll probably talk about that uh, inside Lewin Davis. Uh, we're also going to have the latest part of our um, Michael chimino uh with uh, his most well-regarded film, uh, The Deer Hunter. And uh, at least generally, who knows what we think about it, but generally. And uh, we'll also talk to one old one new and some trailers. Uh, at Ian and Loring, at DudeVoz, at Dude and a Monkey, and Dude and a Monkey at gmail.com for any and all questions or feedback. Uh, Mark, anything to add, or do we plough on? Um, no, I, I plough through, baby. Let's go. Let's plough, let's plough. Um, ever since, ever since the baby came, I, I, I'm, more under a bit of a time limit these days. The uh, I think the days of the three-hour dude and a monkey might be over for for the time being. So, uh, but you know, hey, uh, it's quality, not quantity. It's um, it, it, it's not how long it is; it's what you do with it. So, um, let's crack on. So, Mark, trailers. What have you been watching this week? 
Uh, again, uh, for like the third week running, not caught that much, to be honest. Not that much new, I'd say, to be honest. Um, there seems to be not, it seems to be a bit more trickling through. The one I caught uh, was The Bagman, uh, upcoming uh, De Niro film, also starring John Cusack. Uh, looks like a, a decent enough thriller. Um, you've got uh, John Cusack in another CD Motel movie. Uh, he, he fucking loves those. Uh, and De Niro looking a little bit like if um, a little bit like if Michael Douglas was doing an Al Pacino impression is <laughs> what he kind of looks like in this movie. Um, like I say, it looks like it could be quite an interesting thriller. You've got Crispin Glover and Dominic Purcell also going along for the ride, along with uh, Rebecca DeCosta, who just looks absolutely stunning as you know she usually does. To be honest, who, who uh, is that? Uh, she's turned up in a lot of sort of straight to um, films in the past sort of few years. Um, uh, she's a Brazilian actress, um, but this kind of like seems like she's more in the forefront than um, De Niro and John Cusack. But obviously, they're the bigger names to sell it on. Uh, let's say it looks like the sort of thing that will probably do very little at the, at the cinema and crop up on Netflix pretty quickly. But you know what? I'm up for it. Why not? Fair play. Uh, and that was it for this week, was it? That's that's all I caught this week. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I caught a, a couple. Um, latest trailer for 300 Rise of an Empire. Um, which I've got no interest in seeing in the cinema whatsoever. Um, I'll I'll, I'll probably catch it on Netflix or or that kind of thing. Um, I I think it's kind of interesting that it's both a sequel and kind of a sidequel and also apparently a prequel. Um, so that, I don't know, that's something, I suppose. And it is based on, um, uh, you know, material that Frank Miller's actually written himself. Um, it's like an unfinished uh, graphic novel called Circe's, I think. And yeah. uh, um, so that, that, you know, there is some interest in that, even though, you know, 300 was seven years ago, and this film looks exactly the same. So, uh, who knows? But, um, except, except no alive Gerard Butler, which is a shame, I suppose. Uh, but also saw the trailer for the latest Bloom House production, uh, producer Jason Bloom, uh, for Oculus, um, which has been all over my timeline, basically just because it's Karen Gillan and Katie Sackhoff, co- like co-starring in a horror film. Um, so that, in terms of like internet film nerdery, that's hitting quite. Sorry. Bonerific. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's the hitting. That is Boner Jams 2014. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it, I think the trailer conjures a nice atmosphere. Um, it, it, the the concept of an evil mirror, by the looks of it, is something you can't say you see every day. So um, that's something. Um, well, we, you know, we'll see how it goes. I like. I think I, I've been on record as saying I like what Jason Bloom does. Um, he's a businessman through and through, but he's one who basically gives filmmakers a budget and says, you're getting this amount of money. The trailers that you have aren't going to be very big, um, but we're going to shoot in L.A. and all of you live in L.A. so you're not going to have to travel very far, which is good for you. And... You know, but apart from that, the budget is the budget. Do what you want with the money. And I, you know, I, there was a very uh, tangent. Um, 
there's this um, uh, podcast that KCRW, this um, American public radio station, in, uh, uh, do, uh, uh, does called uh, The Business, uh, which is um, kind of interviews. It's kind of skewing slightly TV in places these days, what I'm not thrilled about, um, which I'm not thrilled about. But um, there was a very, very good episode with an interview with Jason Bloom uh, a few months ago where he's very, very honest about the work that he does you know, he's very honest about the fact that he does it to make money, but he mm. also is, you know, su- he is respectful of the filmmaker's wishes and stuff. And uh, like Rob Zombie was quoted as saying about him um, on Lords of Salem that, you know, unlike other experiences he's had, which was basically the Weinsteins on the Halloween films, I think yeah. it was inferring, it was basically... He gave, he gave us the money and left me alone and was basically, as long as you stick to the budget... You know, do what you want. I respect, I respect your vision. And that, you know, and frankly, The Lords of Salem is the best film zombies done in, well, for me, ever, but most people would say at least since The Devil's Rejects. So, and, you know, that, I don't think that's coincidental. But, uh, anyway, I think the trailer looks alright, and, um, yeah, I'm a fan of Jason Bloom, so you know, bit of a tangent, but that's what we do. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's it. Um, apparently, there's going to be a whole bunch of X-Men: Days of Future Past stuff going online. Uh, on Monday, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Empire Magazine Twitter account has been all about that lately, um, which hasn't been annoying in the slightest. But you know, <laughs> it's what it is. Um, so yeah, I'm sure. We'll I, talk- I, I wonder what they might give the film out of five when it comes out. Yeah, that's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, we'll 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 see. I've noticed that they're not getting the people most likely to review the films or the most chummy with the filmmakers to actually do the reviews. Um, like I think Anchorman Two was a case in point. Chris Hewitt didn't write the Anchorman Two review, and he seems to be very, very, very chummy with Adam McKay. Uh, and they uh, like he's been doing like Q and A's with him, and, and like he did an awful lot of making up material for for the magazine uh, for the magazine. But then when the film came out, one of their other guys did it and gave it three out of five. So you know, I mean, uh, hopefully, you know that that's that's a conscious decision. But anyway, another tangent. Uh, but yeah, should we review? Why not? Let's 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 get let's get in the bone of this motherfucker. Coolly ho. So uh, here is a clip from inside Lewin Davis, and then we shall get inside him. Yeah. Solo act. Yeah. Now. Now. Used to what? Work with a cat. Every time he'd play a C major, he'd puke a hairball. I used to have a partner. What happened? Threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. Well, I don't blame him. I couldn't take it either. I'm to play Jimmy Crack Corn every night. Oh, pardon me for saying so. That's pretty stupid, isn't it? George Washington Bridge. You throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge, traditionally. George Washington Bridge. Who does that? Okay, so that was a clip from Inside Lewin Davis, latest film by the Coen Brothers, starring Oscar Isaac, Kerry Mulligan, Jason, uh, Jason, Justin Timberlake, John Goodman, Adam Driver, uh, lot, lot, uh, Garrett Hedlund, uh, lots of folks. Um, so yeah, uh, Inside Lewin Davis, uh, story of Lewin Davis, uh, kind of a 
on the on the down and outs folk singer who's uh, recently split from his partner for reasons that come clear through the film is a songwriting partner a musical partner that is and uh, it's basically a week in his life where shit goes from bad to worse some of it feels kind of cosmically done some of it just because of the way he is uh, Mark what did you think of Inside Lewin Davis and full spoilers for out folks yeah definitely say full spoilers for out because there is a few spoilers within this um, I, I think well, I mean, first of all I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan uh, just think it's always best to get out there with Coen Brothers you know I think they have a, a certain way of making films that you either get on board or on, on your gun um, Inside Lewin Davis uh, I I First of all, it's it's very much a film that puts its music out there at, at, a, for, at a forefront. Uh, majority of the songs are played in their entirety, uh, and they're very much set as pieces within the film. So I think that if you don't get on with with the music, you're not going to get on really with the film because it's such an it is it is such an integral part of the film. Luckily, I, I quite like the music, and I think picking Oscar Isaac, who is a a musician as well as an actor as well uh, works very well. Um, I think that at points uh, I found Inside Lewis Davis to be uh, a, a wonderful film. Um, there are I have issues with certain parts of it. Um, certainly, I don't think it's by any stretch of the imagination uh, a, a perfect film. But then again, I think that very few Coen Brothers films are, are um, in their sense perfect throughout. Um, yeah. But what I'd say is there are certain bits that, that, that bugged me about the film, but on a whole, I, I very, very much enjoyed uh, Inside Lewis Davis, and I think that Oscar Isaac um, was was a very captivating screen presence to spend that much time with. Um, I don't uh, agree with the, the main thrust that um, it, it, it's, it's difficult to get behind him because he's such a terrible person that I, just, I didn't get that. Um, but we'll get we'll get more into um, what I loved about the film and what I didn't like as much about the film as we go along. Ian, um, what did you think of Inside Lewin Davis? I fucking love this film. Uh, I am I am a big 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 fan. Um, I think it's yeah you know, it, it, it's the, the thing is you look at a film like Oh Brother Where Art Thou where it's very, very, very musical also. Mm. Uh, but it's kind of mixed with their kind of like their great journey, kind of slightly screwball comedy, George Clooney doing the wide eyes kinds of thing. And I, I really, really like Oh Brother, Where Out Thou. But that kind of high key stuff, I'm a little less in love with. Yeah. This, um, apparently Oscar Isaac has been quoted as calling this a screwball tragedy. Uh, <laughs> and... That that's amazing, and yeah. I I, the, the, I don't know. The thing is, I kind of got behind him because he just feels like a flesh and blood human being who yeah. has got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, but at the same time has you know his partner has just chucked himself off of the wrong bridge. Um, that that's that's that bit's amazing. John Goodman <laughs> calling it the wrong bridge. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and so he's gonna be he's gonna be spiky, you know. And, and the thing is, he never really feels like it like super super freeloadingy. He doesn't emotionally blackmail people, and it, it doesn't 
always feel like he's just doing things for his own ends. It just feels like he's a real person with flaws. And I mean, like, I, um, I was listening to, uh, I think it was the Kermo podcast. And they had a, 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 a reader email, um, uh, saying that they were, you know, they were kind of annoyed that, you know, there, there's the scene where he's driving and he sees that turn off where his ex with his baby would be. And he just keeps going, and they, they were saying, you know, what, you know, pissed off that it didn't go down that road. Like, it just didn't go down any particular road. And the, the thing is, I myself have been pissed off. I'm, I'm sorry, I will stop soon. I myself have been pissed off in the past with films that have narratives that don't go anywhere. But the thing is, the, the narrative in Inside Lewin Davis is a week, a, a week in the life of, it, of Lewin Davis. Yeah. It, it's not. Lewin Davis has this to accomplish, and then by the end, he either does or doesn't. The purpose of the film is a week in his life. So the fact that it ends on such an abrupt note, to me, I, 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 and, you know, and does raise things and, and kind of doesn't really follow through on them. For me, with this film, with its aims, I'm absolutely fine with. And to be honest, I would have been pissed off if it was him having a confrontation with his ex and the kid, if it was him telling Justin Timberlake that he fucked Kerry Honigan. I'll be honest, when when you do see the the sign for Akron, I I did think at that point, I hope it doesn't go there. Yeah. I hope it doesn't go there. And then then when it didn't, I was was, was quite happy because like you say, it it is, that's, that's a story that happens outside of the film, that bit. Whether he goes or not is immaterial in the film. We're looking... There's no great... There's no great dramatical shift in Lewis Davis really throughout the film. There always seems like there's going to be, and then it never happens. Yeah, I mean, even the title of the film, even though, I mean, it's the name of the out of his album within the film, but it's as plain a statement as what the film is, as can humanly be. Mm. It's in, it's a look at Lewin Davis. Yeah. I, 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 it's a look at this character who's not the nicest guy in the world, but I certainly don't think he's horrible. And I, to be honest, I don't think he's that hard to get behind. No, I, he, he does. He, he does. He seems like a guy who. Who's just a little bit abrasive. He seems like it's that kind of guy who, yes, he is a little bit too much out for himself, but not in a he's going to fuck everybody over kind of way. In just, I mean, he, he seems to be the kind of guy who'd be quite a nice guy to get on with, but occasionally lets his, his jealousy get the better of him. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, uh, yeah, I know exactly. Even though, again, to be fair, he's a bit snarky about please, Mister Kennedy. But at the same time, it is a terrible song. And yeah, but it, it, it's kind of the thing of where he's like, "Who the hell wrote this?" It's like, "Well, I wrote it." Um, it's like, "All oh, right," uh, and it, it, it's that kind of you know, he is a bit snarky about it, but he's just that. He's a little bit like a hipster douchebag. He is that kind of thing. It is a bit like that, where. You know, well, this is so uncool, I don't like it. He's a bit like that. But he's not all about the art or anything like that. I mean, he's the fucking opposite. He he has that kind of breakdown at the um, the professor's apartment where he, he's just like, it's it's my job. I do this to make a living so I can eat. I wouldn't, 
I, I don't come round here and ask you to lecture about whatever it is the guy lectures about. You know, it, it, it's. I mean, I, and I, I think that's fucking interesting as well. That in the end of the day, you know. You, you, you watch The Voice and you watch The X Factor about the, these people saying, you know, I've, I've been working at this for 20 years, you know, this is my, la- my last shot or something like that. And, I mean, this is a guy who's been working at it and he's fucking tired, you know, and uh, he's, he's, he's kind of, uh, he is on the down and out, so he's on the verge of giving up. I mean, he pretty much does give up, you know. And, and uh, I, mean, it, I mean, it was like at the end of the film, you're almost kind of expecting... Like someone after that, that that performance that he he gives to like come up to him and say, oh, would you be interested in in this record deal or whatever? No. What does happen? Bob Dylan shows up and he gets <laughs> punched in the face by some random. Yeah. It's it, it just that to me is perfection. And also, I, I, one thing I like the fact that there's no. I think other directors or other filmmakers would have had him walking off stage and Dylan walking on. Uh, and they're being, you know, they're basically introducing Dylan to it. Where it isn't, it's just, he's in the background. Yeah, you just, just, uh, you just hear him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that they, they, they did use a, a Dylan um, bootleg from that era as well, and they didn't use one of the recognisable Dylan songs. Oh my well. God, yeah, I mean, Christ, uh, Christ, could you imagine if, like, the, the the start of the times they are a changing like started up and then it went to black or something and the credits are playing yeah that that would have been it would, <laughs> it, it would have caused me to um, um, literally uh, with my popcorn gone uh, uh, just fuck off <laughs> but, yeah 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 the films are too are too savvy and they're too smart to do anything that that kind of crowd pleasing yeah, totally and, and and to be fair I'm not knocking like Zack Snyder using it in Watchmen because it's it, it's oh, perfect yeah. in Watchmen I mean it, it you know but I mean it, you know the, the song is mentioned in the the graphic novel yeah yeah no sure yeah no absolutely uh, it, it just you know you you the, Dylan's voice is so fucking recognizable that you do you do just get it and I, I suppose if you know some people who maybe watch this who maybe don't know who Dylan is I, I, I suppose the film would lose something a little bit in the ending because it basically is saying that his it, it, it has passed him by, mm. you know, and, and it, it's all about to change. And I mean, it is, I, it's it's kind of a sad ending, but at the same time, you've still got Lewin Davis being quite defiant, you know, and, 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 and like right right at the end. And I, you know, I like that and. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Oscar Isaac is is phenomenal. I, like, I I do not get how he doesn't get a Best Actor nomination. Yeah, but very, it is what very, it is. I'm very surprised. Well, right, right. Can I pause something okay. here? Right. There's a reason why I think he he doesn't get it, um, and there and I have an argument against that particular reason. I think he doesn't get it. Because the Academy see him more as a singer acting, and therefore, because he's also he's a singer outside of his acting, as it's a little bit like, yeah, so he's not acting; he's just doing the other thing that he does. Do you know what I mean? I I think it's basically because the story is about a loser who 
doesn't really get anything or go anywhere during the, the course of the film. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's, I, mean, I think that's certainly definitely not a question about it. But part of the part of Lewis Davis' is, um, character is that he's this sports singer. Um, so you've got to take, as part of that character, uh, as that acting performance, you've got to take him performing these uh, these folk songs as part of the acting performance. They're not just merely parts of their soundtrack because they are their full performances. And those performances are brilliant. Oscar Isaac has a, a fantastic, velvety, wonderful, rich voice. You know, it, it, it's great to listen to. Even that opening song that comes on, it is, that's, it, it, if, if that draws you in and grabs you, it's pretty much got you for the rest of the film. Yeah. And I don't see how anybody can not say that, that those performances... Along with the acting side of it, he's also a very good actor as well. He plays it. There's a, there's, there is a, a goofballness to it, but it's reined in. It never goes. It, it never goes too Barton Fink on it. Yeah. It never becomes Magoo. It, it always stays sort of within a, a, a semblance of, of reality. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think there's another character in it that jumps too far out of that a little bit and is playing at a Coen Brothers. Um, character rather than a, a character in this Coen Brothers movie and I, I'm, I'm still very surprised that, that he's not, not surprised but I think that he deserved at least a nomination for this performance because I think he, he, he holds the entire movie together it's, and you know he should do because he's the title character. Yeah I mean I, I don't want to uh, uh, drill on about that but how Christian, uh, it, it, Christian Bale gets a nomination for American Hustle and you know, Oscar Isaac or Tom Hanks and Captain Phillips, for me personally, how mm. they don't get in over Kristen Bale, I don't know. And I liked well, American Hustle, but it's just American Hustle is the film, it seems. That's, it's that's the one I'd, I'd swap out. It is Bale. I, like I said, I, I love Bale. I just, I, I don't think that's his best performance, but we, we've covered that. But that is the one I'd swap out, is, is Isaac for that. Because I think, I think it, it deserves that extra level of credit because you know he's such a great performance mm. yeah no absolutely I mean he just everything about it I was just like yeah that's I, that is absolutely spot on it, 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 I it, I think it's fantastic um, I mean before I kind of come over it a bit more I mean so that that character you mentioned who you thought stepped over too much I'm guessing what Mulligan yeah yeah okay yeah so she's 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 too. Do you know? Do you know what she what, what what I saw in her? Um, you know Alison Pill's character in Scott Pilgrim. Sure. This could practically be her grandma. To the to the the, the facial expressions, the just avert just unpleasantness of her, um, and just this complete arrogance. And the only time. Where she's not angry and not essentially just calling Lewin Davis a cunt throughout the entire thing is when she's singing, and that's the only time that she seems to have any semblance of peace to her character. And then what do the Coen Brothers do? They dress her up like Velma from the Scooby Doo cartoons. And so I'm watching that thinking she really does look like Velma. She really does look like Velma. And I I thought that she she was too. She was two other Coen Brothers movies for this movie. She took me out of it every time. Um, I like Kerry Mulligan. I thought in this she was a little bit 
poor. I I I I didn't see that myself. I I mean I respect your opinion, man. But, but, all yeah. she does is in the film is tell Lewis Davis about how much of a bastard he is. That's 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 her character. Yeah, yeah. And it it, it, it almost feels a little bit like she's the thing. She's the thing. Character telling the audience, you know, oh, in case you didn't notice, he's a bastard. He's a bastard. He is. And it, it just felt a little bit like, right, I've got it. I don't need another scene of her telling Lou and Davis about how much of a bastard he is. Well, I mean, there's not there's not too many scenes of that. But it's every scene she's in with him. I'm sure, going, but I I don't know. I like I, that, that's yeah. I mean, that, fair enough. If if that hurts you, that, that, that is there, hurts is there you, anything just, else to her character other than the, other than telling Lou and Davis? Well, should there be? I mean, like just in terms but, of like he's a nice guy. Should there be anything more to his character? I just think that it just it, it just every time she came on just kind of took me out of it because there was just there was you know, just someone that's barely in the film. Let's be honest, he's hardly in it. Carrie uh, Mulligan's hardly in the film herself. I would say she spends she's got double the amount of screen time as Timberlake though. Yeah, but then Timberlake she, starts off not having a lot of time anyway. She's she's got you know a, a few quite a few well not a, a lot of scenes but she has the, the, a number of scenes yeah. with with Davis in it. Uh, no, you're fair enough. But I mean that the, the, the thing is, I mean like yeah, she she's calling him a cunt and a bastard all the time, but in her eyes. I, I, I call this spinning if you want, but he probably is. I mean, fuck, he forgets when she's having the bloody abortion at one point. But she she also takes no blame for that at all. No, but that, that's her character, though. I mean, fuck, yeah. I would I would rather have her character do this than have her have some sort of tearful reconciliation. I, 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 I could know. agree with that. I just I just thought that she was just a little bit too one note for me. That, that's that. I mean, that that's that is your opinion, and nothing I could say would really I, I would really challenge that. I don't think it just it it felt fine for me personally. I I thought she was funny. It made me laugh how fucking straight faced and pissed off she was. I like Goodman. Goodman, solid. Um, Headland, solid. Weird. Odd, yeah. odd little cameo, but enjoyed it. Yeah, that, it's a strange one, that, because he, he literally just drives, and that's it. But it, it, it kind of, it, it, it felt okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I'll also mention the cinematography, which, um, I mean, the, the look of a film is always very, very important to Coen's. I mean, again, with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where it was one of the first examples of, like, really, like, I I, like, I think it was, like, one of the first films you, that used a digital intermediate, uh, mm. so then the, uh, Deacons could, like, fuck with the colours. And, um, I mean, that, that film, it gives it a very kind of, like, almost like a kind of a fable-esque kind of quality to it. Um, and it, with this, I mean... It, it's a really, really obvious thing to say, and many other people have said it, but pretty much any image in this film looks like it could be the cover of an album. And yeah. I, 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 it is gorgeous. And I mean, like, one of the one of the two Oscar nominations it did get was for cinematography, and I wouldn't begrudge this winning. Uh, I don't think it will, but I wouldn't begrudge it. I love the coldness of it. I, it feels... 
it feels like you are inside Lewin Davis's mind, and this is almost how he pictures the world. It's almost like you could cut to like one shot of the real world, and it's bright and sunny and a beautiful day. But inside Davis's head, this is what the world is like. It, mm. it, it, has, it has a very, it has a great palette to it. Mm. I think it's I mean I think it's I think it's Bruno Debonel um who who was the cinematographer I I I I think it's gorgeous and it really helps it does I mean it it does the thing that the best cinematography does where it really adds to the story and the flavor of the film you know yeah. it's it's not just lighting it's trying to tell something with it and I I absolutely spot on I I like I it's. I mean, you were saying last week about how The Wolf of Wall Street. You feel like it's already in one of your all-time favorite films, uh, mm. kind of things. This film feels like it could do that for me. That's, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's just like I, I had such a pleased, just content, zen-like happiness when this film ended. That I, I, I was just like, I was 150,000% satisfied by what I've just been watching for the last hour and 45 minutes. It's always great when that happens, well, when you finish watching a film, when it, you just know yeah. that, that was great. Yeah, I mean, that was lovely. I mean, like, to be honest, I, I, I kind of, not, not quite to the same extent, but I felt that with Wolf of Wall Street. I felt that, felt that with The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, it's been, it, 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 you know, it's been a good couple of weeks for me, film wise. It's been a good start to the year, without question. I mean, part of that is because we're getting all the, you know, it's becoming now common for us to get all the Oscar bits uh, all at the same time. So, you know, it is becoming part of the cast that, you know, that we get a good January and February. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I've, I've, I've seen three films so far this year that I would count as 2014 films that I would see being in my top ten at the end of the year quite comfortably. Mm. There's one that I think might get squeezed out, but there's two that I think could well be in there. Because, I mean, like, in the end of the day, unless you get anything really surprising you, between, like, now and September, there's probably going to be fuck all that's actually going to be in contention for, you know, for the list. Once all the, like, the awards films are out, it that's it until until maybe September time. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. It, that doesn't feel out of the realm of possibility. No, yeah, that, I, I think yeah. Just, like I say, with the Oscar things coming in, we get the good films at the start of the year. Um, it'd be nice if we got them at the end of the year, but you know, it, it's what happens now. It's the way the business works. Yeah, yeah, no, so I mean, you know, I mean, there, there were a couple of kind of year-end films that turned up on my top ten uh, list on the show we did a, a couple of weeks back, but I, it just. Yeah, very, very, very strong stuff from people you hope to see strong stuff from, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're probably. It sounds like we're wrapping up. Um, so, uh, most definitely not shit. Yeah, absolutely, definitely not shit. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I've been listening to the soundtrack ever since. So. Yeah, I've got. I've got to get on that shit. Actually, I really do. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I just it's it's annoying. Spotify have only got three tracks from yeah, the soundtrack, that, which is yeah, that, that's strange. So I, I I got the soundtrack because yeah, like I said, really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, totally. Um, good good stuff. So yeah, I I just I really 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 
really fucking really love this film. So <laughs> I, 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 it just it's, it's nice. Um, right, cool. so um, let's hear for some promos from people and podcasts we like, and then we will uh, bang into some one old and one new. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I'm just just getting confirmation. It's just thinking that's the third time though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the picture. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, you wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. GGTMC Live For you Fresh air Big Willie and the Samurai Are at your service Breaking films down and turning them around Giving recommendations That are always on point Visit GGTMC.com For more information the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to the trash since 1977. We are back. We've got some one old, one new. Uh, Mark, what do you want to hit us with first, man? Uh, I'm going to hit uh, you with my uh, one old um, first. Um, I watched. I watched a few sort of old things uh, this past sort of week. Um, I watched um, just to give it a, a bit recap. Um, I watched Titan Miss Ripley, um, which was yeah, it, it, it's, it's a great film. It's far too long, uh, but it's one of those films where you forget how good it is until you're actually watching it. Uh, I also watched Goodwill Hunting, um, and that's one of those films that has aged horribly, but at its heart, it's still quite a decent film. Um, and they were two of the, the good films that I watched uh, this week. But I want to talk about one that I watched that was terrible, to be honest. Cool. Um, just to kind of get it off my chest a little bit. Um, I watched um, 2009's um, 2012, um, the $200 million uh, Roland Emmerich film. Now, I don't get on with Roland Emmerich films. Uh, I Quite simply, I just don't really like them. Um, he just makes big crap. Um... I mean, there has been a couple that I liked. I did mind uh, White House Down, and that's it. But other than that, uh, you know, it, it, he makes pretty crappy films, in my opinion. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to give... It was it was late on, on a um, Tuesday night, I got in from work, and I thought, right, I can watch this uh, over... I can watch a bit of it now, and I can watch a bit of it in the morning, because it's, it's like, nearly three hours long. Um... Idea of the story uh, is it's set in 2009, uh, and a scientist discovers that. Well, it starts in 2009. Let's make clear the film 2012 is not set in 2009. No. 
Oh, it's, no, it's, it, it, it starts in yeah, 2009. <laughs> uh, and then, and then, have you not seen this? Yeah, but I mean, I know it's starting. The thing is, you said 2012 is set. 2012 is set in 2009. Oh, the film. Yeah, the film. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Where you've got a team of scientists basically discovered that um, the Magans are right and the world is going to end in 2012. Yeah. Um, and this scientist is headed by um, Chiwetel Ejiofor um, before he became decent. Um, we then jump forward essentially a couple of years uh, to um, 2012, funnily enough, um, where John Cusack um, is a writer who also drives a limo for a Russian billionaire. Uh, and I don't even want to talk about the story because it's just bullshit. Essentially, he, has to, he ends up getting his family onto these big arcs that they've built um, to essentially, you know, to survive the, um, what's that, what really is the, the, the apocalypse, really. Um and the all the governments, the leading governments of the world, have got together and have built these massive arcs in China, and they're charging rich people a billion euros each per ticket to get onto these arcs, where they're also putting, you know, two of every animal and all this famous art that needs to be kept, etc., etc., etc. But essentially, this is just two, nearly three hours. Of, of loads of people dying. And that is the film. It is just a lot of CGI disasters and mass amounts of people dying. It is so boring. It is just terrible. You've, you've seen this, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, and did you hate it as well, or did you actually think it alright, or, or what? What were your, what, your, what were your memories of it? Uh, 2009, uh, 2012, fuck's sake, I just said it. Two, uh, two, 2012, yep. my main memory of it is the fact that I had to go into work to test a print at half seven in the morning because the print came in late and it was out that day and we needed to make sure it was all right before it went on to the public. Beyond that, I don't remember an awful lot about it. That's good. Because then you don't remember John Cusack driving a limo through a... Um, oh, actually, no. I do remember that, along with Tom McCarthy, the director of The Station Agent and Win Win, who yeah. sometimes it acts in things and for some reason is in 2012. He's in this, and just, like, bits of street are just, like, getting enveloped in lava and there's stuff sort of going everywhere, yet John Cusack is able to drive a limo through all of this. And everybody else's car is just exploding into flames. And then there's like, there's ships, sort of big sort of cruise ships just falling over at the side. And we're seeing just loads of people dying. And that is it. For two and a, two hours and 45 minutes of just people dying. It was, it is terrible. A terrible, horrible, horrible film. Hated every minute of it. <laughs> there's a and, lot and, of minutes as well. And the last, the, the last thing I say about it, because all I want to say was just how terrible this film is. The only person, because none of them, they're all fucking idiots, with the exception of Oliver Platt, who is the guy who you you're supposed to think is a bastard, because when when he's saying to them, "Look, let's set off," and Chiwetelegi is saying, "Look, look at all those people. All those people are going to die." And he said, well, 
everybody on this arc is going to die if we don't close that door. And they, yeah, but we've got to let those people on. I'm guessing these arcs have been kind of designed and calibrated to take a certain amount of weight. And also, if that's a billion euros per person to get onto those arcs, there's like four or five hundred people there. There's not that many billionaires because there's five of these fucking arcs and already all of them are filled. filled. There are not that many billionaires on the planet. It just didn't make sense. It was stupid. And the only person who had their head screwed on was Oliver Platt's character and he was supposed to be the bastard. Um, the, 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 the billion euros, does it... Is it literally a billion euros each? Yeah, per ticket. It's mentioned. Uh, the... Um, Russian oil art says when John Cusa asks him um, how much, do you mind me asking how much how much does it cost you to get on this? And he says, a billion euros. And he goes, wow. And he goes, per seat. And he's bought three, haven't he? Because him and his weird two fucking angry kid looking motherfuckers of his bastard kids. Fair enough. Horrible film. Hated it. <laughs> I was so angry when it finished. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. Right, go on then. What, what have you watched? One old or one new? Hit us with it. I'm going to go with my one old first because um, I'm going to get another drink in a minute before I get into my one new. Um, my one old is... Oh, well, yesterday um, managed to actually get through a film um, with Donna while we we were looking after Lottie, which was good. Uh, we watched Jurassic Park in 3D. Oh, what's that like in 3D? Uh, um, yeah, actually. Um, surprising. Um, it's a 3D... I don't think they've spent as much on the 3D conversion as they did on, say, Titanic. Um mm. Uh, pardon me. I haven't watched the whole of um, Titanic in 3D yet, but from the bits I've seen, that straight up looks like it was shot in 3D. Uh, yeah. Like it's stunning, um, actually. Uh, this you do get the feeling though with Titanic that even if the, you know that that they the studio could have gone right. Well, we're going to get a budget of X amount um, to kind of to retrofit 3D onto this, and that Cameron would go. Yeah, do you know what? If it goes over, I'll pay for it. Yeah, yeah, that's you get you get that feeling from him just because he'd want to see it looking in three D. Yeah, being how how forward he thinking he is with three D. I mean that that's the interesting thing about Cameron as well. Like when post conversion started coming along, I think it was specifically about the uh, Clash of the Titans where literally they did it in like two months and Cameron was saying like specifically cited it as saying this is dragging 3D down how shitty these post-convert jobs are you know and then he like allows Titanic to be done but then yes I think he they just spent a shitload I wouldn't be surprised if he picked up some of the tab and to be fair when it was released in 3D it did really well so it it kind of Mm. worked out Jurassic Park um it doesn't feel like as much has been spent on it. Um, there, it, it. There's not quite as much dimensionality to it. It, it. it doesn't quite pop as much. But it is very, very good, I must say, the the, the, the 3D post-conversion. And it's... It's really kind of like in, in kind of the, the landscape kind of um, shots. There's um, 
the the shot where um, they're arriving first and like the helicopters going along the sea looks fantastic, and then when it's kind of going down onto the onto the landing pad, it looks uh, it looks phenomenal. And then with the with the action scenes as well, the um, the bit where um, uh, Doctor Grant and the two kids uh, are, are running and the um, the there's like a dinosaur herd kind of like running past them and stuff that 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 looks. That looks fantastic. I mean, it is a very, very worthwhile watch in 3D, actually. And um, when I'm watching, I, I, the, the figures, I'm, I'm a bit, I, I'm all right with 3D. I'm perfectly comfortable with it, and it might help that I have a 3D TV, so I watch quite a lot of 3D content. But when it's done well, I think it's a really, really fun addition. I don't think it adds anything story-wise, but I, th- it, you know, it, it is a fun immersion technique. Um, but the, the thing about Jurassic Park, you know, it's personally, it's my formative cinematic event, like my first cinematic event where I was just like, fuck me, films are brilliant. Mm. You know, like I was nine years old when it came out and it was at the Froome Westway Cinema where when films were really popular, you'd literally be queuing all the way up this street to the, like, around the car park to the back, like, old school queuing for the cinema. And, like, we had to queue for an hour for, for Jurassic Park and it was opening night. Yeah, and, I, I remember, I remember having a queue for what I did. And you just, you wouldn't do that these days, would you? Because it would be on, like, ten screens starting mm-hmm. every half hour and you just wouldn't have to bother. Um, whereas back in the day that's just how it was and the thing is i don't think it, i don't think it is nostalgia i think jurassic park is just a genuinely great blockbuster um it's it feels pretty epic and yet it's only just over two hours long and it, it, in a way it feels longer and that's not in a negative sense. It's just in a, it feels like you go through so fucking much in that space of time. Um, and it's also that the structure of it and like the individual set pieces are really clever. One thing that struck me is, um, the moment where, um, the, the kids on the fence and, uh, it, you know, and it's like, is, is it, it, it you know, is it going to get turned on or not? The fact that it's Laura Dern is turning on the fence because she's turning on the power. So she's trying to do a good thing from that point of view. But then from the other point of view, it's a bad thing because obviously uh, it like electrifies Tim and he nearly dies. But like that whole kind of good thing, bad thing thing. And, and the fact that, you know, there's tension in the Laura Dern bit because you know, you want them to get the power back, but then there's tension, you know, because you don't want them to get the power back in the other way. It's really, really, really clever stuff. Mm. Um, and I mean, the, um, I don't know, like, the, again, and still, like, the exposition of it, it still kind of sounds like it's plausible, even though it's obviously not. But the kind of the detail they go into it and the fact that they have like that film with um, John Hammond talking to himself and then they go and actually see the lab and like they're questioning the doctor and the doctor comes right back with the responses. It, it yeah, makes the science within the film yeah. makes sense. It, it feels and legit. Yeah, that that's that's the issue is people People who start kind of like questioning, saying, "Oh, well, this, this will happen, this will happen," like, right? Fair enough. You do realise it's a film. You you are aware of the medium of film. It's not a fucking documentary. 
I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. I don't question the science in Jurassic Park because it is what it is. I do question the fact that John Hammond would have to be there in person every time they do this little tour thing because he's got to do the interactions with the John Hammond on screen. You know, yeah. but, um, so I mean, like, he'd he just have to be there all the time unless they got like an animatronic Richard Attenborough or something. But, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that stuff is fantastic. Um, maybe they clone him. Maybe that's the other thing they're going to do. There you go. There you there go. There you go. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, and I mean, the, the CG, it's not as breathtaking as it was 20 years ago, obviously, but next to The Mummy Returns, which was maybe <laughs> a decade after Jurassic Park. It still pisses all over it. it. Do you know what else it pisses all over? Go on. 20 fucking 12. Yeah, well. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no. So, th- there you go, man. I mean, it just, it... Oh, hello. Um, okay, cool. Sorry. Um, uh, pop me. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, it just, I, I go back to Jurassic Park every couple of years or so, and I, as such, and I just have a really really solid time with it. It, it, it it's a proper adventure it feels smart even though in ways it's not i mean um the, the bit where the girl sees the linux system and she's like it's linux i know this and then it's the least fucking computer graphic like com- computer display computer you've ever seen yeah. where like the files are kind of represented as these like filing cabinets on screen and they're kind of linked up to other th- it's brutal um but yeah it, it just it's it's fantastic i know saying jurassic park is fantastic sounds like a stupid fucking obvious thing to say but it really really holds up and um i mean i'll be watching all three again before jurassic world next year and i'm really looking forward to that i i rewatched all three like last year yeah and isabel isabel loves the first jurassic park uh one of her favorite films which is it's amazing when you think about it. It's a film that's like over 20 years old now. Um, and it's one of her favourite movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I watched two and three and uh, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 I actually have a soft spot for two. I think three is by far the weakest. Yeah, I, I prefer three to two. Wow, alright, that's interesting for enough. Yeah, I, I, I really didn't like two. That's interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say as well, um, because actually looking at the time, we're actually doing all right for time at the moment, but um, it, it, it is properly fucking intense and scary at times. There is one jump scare in this where I had to kind of distract Donna because I knew it was coming and I knew it was going to make her jump to fuck. So, like, I kind of, like, I, I chatted to her a little bit, and then it happened, and she was like, oh, and I was like, yeah, I kind of did that on purpose. And it's uh, it's the, in the same scene as Laura Dern um, switching on all the stuff, and um, she, she like, gets it all on, and she's standing, and there's, like, a kind of some piping framed to the left of her, uh, or well, on the left of the frame, and, and she's just like, Mr. Hammond, I think we're in business, and then this fucking uh, raptor just, like, fucking comes like, comes out of the shadow behind her and, like, snarls, and it, it's awesome. Oh, yeah, I remember that, oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it's fantastic, and, um, I mean, fucking Spielberg must have pulled some fucking wine and dine shit with the BBFC to get this a PG, I must say, but, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, it, it, it's, it's, I, I don't know, it's so much fucking fun, is Jurassic Park, and, um, yeah, 
you know, not a shocker, but yes. And I will just say quickly, I also rewatched Wes Anderson's Rushmore, uh, which I'd only seen once before, and it was years and years ago. I really like this. It is slightly proto-Anderson, and it doesn't hit the nail on the head quite as much as some of his other, uh, uh, of his later work, but it's um, still a lot of fun. But yeah. It's my, it's my second favourite Anderson film, that. Nice. Fair enough. I, yeah, that's absolutely fair enough. Um, and I'm going to take a quick break and get a drink, if that's all right. Yeah, I shall do it as well, yeah. Sweet, just going to pause. Let's go. Okay, then, Mark, so uh, let's take your one old. One new. Oh, be. is it one new? <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, okay, so hang on. You watched it again? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I watched it when it first came out and I didn't hate it that much. It just seems like you're fucking yourself in the arse, but, you know, whatever. Happens a lot. Right, okay, so let's have you one new then. Bloody hell. Yeah, don't forget to mention that was my one. I thought I said it was my one old, yeah. Yeah, I watched it when it first came out and thought that I... I remembered liking it a little bit more and thought that it was all right. And it wasn't, it was horrible. Uh, my one new. Um, oh, sorry, I'm just going to pause ever so ever so quickly, ever so quickly. Yeah, sorry. Nice. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, my one new uh, for this week is uh, Grudge Match, um, which is also released this weekend, um, as was uh, Inside Lou and Davis that we covered. Um, and I was always going to watch this. It's Robert De Niro and Sylvester Stallone in a boxing movie. Uh, directed by Peter Siegel, uh, also starred Kevin Hart, Eleanor Arkin, Kim Basinger, and um, John Bernthal, who we didn't actually mention at all, really, in our coverage of Wolf of Wall Street um, last week. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that he's absolutely incredible in it. Uh, so I wanted to sneak that into this as well. Uh, idea of Grudge Match uh, is you've got uh, De Niro and Stallone both play... Uh, Retired boxers uh, who had a rivalry as they're both from Pittsburgh, uh, and it back in the day. Um, Celeste Lone plays uh, Henry Razor Sharp, and De Niro plays Billy the Kid McDonnell. Um, they had two fights um, in the, I think it's supposed to be in the 70s, um, and then as they were about to have the the third fight, the, um, the group match to sort of settle it all. Uh, Stallone's character uh, retired uh, and they never got to have the fight. Uh, so what, they up. actually set up the fight and then Stallone's character retires? Yeah. Oh, that's a bit gay. Yeah, all, all, all set up. And the, the film kind of goes into sort of like why uh, why that happened. Um, the idea is that um, they did a, in, on a HBO TV show, they do a, a kind of computer mock-up of what the fight would have been like uh, and it draws all this, these people kind of get involved and saying, you know, it'd be amazing, you know, if you could do it. And Kevin Hart's character, Dante, who is the son of the promoter, uh, a very Don King-esque promoter, uh, who stole all of um, Henry and uh, Billy's money, essentially, <laughs> um, goes to them and says, look, the, the, the makers of this computer game... Um, want to you know put you into the computer game um, so you can fight each other and want to create these characters when they go to the computer game they end up having a fight and it all ends up going viral etc and a fight is arranged between the two guys and the story is about them two getting into shape for the fight um, it's 
it's not as bad as it could be, is what I'll say. Uh, I, the thing is, 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 if you were to say it's De Niro, who's 70 years old, against Stallone, who is nearly 70 years old, in a boxing film where they're going to fight each other, it, it sounds a little bit ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, Stallone is still in pretty good shape, and, you know, De Niro... Is not in as great shape, which is mentioned throughout the film. There's a great scene here where he, he's talking to his, you know, because um, give it a context. Stallone's character is not doing very well. He works in a steel mill, and all his money goes towards um, he's paying for Alan Arkin, who plays his old trainer, uh, playing for him to stay in a nursing home. Um, De Niro's character, uh, he. he um, Billy, he's doing a little bit better for himself. He's got a couple of restaurants and he's got a a used car lot as well. So he's not exactly rolling in the door. He doesn't but form he, any stand-up, does he? He, he does. Oh, yeah. you've got to be fucking... <laughs> no, he does. He does, does. Oh, God, does, does, does Stallone... Does someone suggest Stallone hits some, like, frozen meat and he says, no, that's a stupid idea or something like that? Yeah. Fuck, are you serious? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not even joking, yeah. No, no, it, what happens is is they go into a frozen meat factory, Stallone's about to hit it, and Alan Arkin does say to him, what the hell are you doing? And he kind of shrugs, and he says, we're just here to buy some dinner, you don't have to hit everything. Honestly, it happens in the film. There, it, 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 there are... There are some absolute moments within this film, and there are many of them, where you go, oh, really? The thing is, I genuinely, genuinely didn't know that those two things happened in the film. Hand on the heart. Yeah, they, they do. They, they do happen in the film. Fuck's sake. Um, and, and there are, there, they are some of the moments where you kind of go, oh, really? Um, but De Niro plays an absolute shit in this, you know, Billy the Kid is he, his character is an arsehole. Um, like I said, there's a great moment where his partner, say, he's saying to the partner, you know, I'm going to do this fight, we're going to do it. And he's saying, well, you, he's saying you can't. He's like, well, why? And he says, well, you're out of shape. And he's like, well, yeah, give me another reason. You're old. He's like, all right. He's like, you're fat. You've got weak knees. You're fat. And there's this constant reference to the fact that De Niro's fat in it. <laughs> And it, it does work, and it does seem like you know he's having a bit, of, he's poking a little bit of fun at himself, and it works. Um, and by as the film goes on, it starts to build more into the sort of the dramatic side of it, and you start to find out why Stallone's um, character didn't go through with the fight, and you know there's other characters come into it, and it is it's a very much a there's not a lot of, of, of kind of subtlety to it, and it's it's very much. It's a it's a crowd pleasing film. It, it, it's there to do that, but it also it, it works on other levels. That it gets it starts to to kind of get quite emotional as it gets more into the film. And I'm perfectly accepting the fact that this could be me because of my emotional attachment to to both of the actors uh, within it, uh, and that I give you know De Niro and Stallone more leeway than anybody else will. Because it's my two movie heroes on screen together, yeah. um, and I'm perfectly accepting the fact that that might be it. But the film 
worked for me. You know, it's perfectly entertaining. It is funny when it needs to be funny. Kevin Hart is funny. Alan Arkin is playing that character that Alan Arkin's been playing since Little Miss Sunshine. Um, you know, Kim Basinger, you know, it is has nothing to do at all and is there simply as a plot device within it. Uh, but the interactions between De Niro um, and um, John Bernthal, uh, who plays his uh, estranged son, um, they work quite well and they don't go where you expect them to go. There's no big massive bust up and no big massive I'm a fuck up uh, or anything like that. It is, it, it, De Niro just accepts the fact that that he wasn't there throughout the kid's life. He could have been, but he wasn't. Um, and it, it, it kind of works. And, you know, it, out of the two films that are out um, this week, uh, between Grudge Match and Inside Lewis Davis, Inside Lewis Davis is a much, much better film. I'm not going to pretend for a second that it's not. Um, and I'm not going to suggest to anybody that they go and see a grudge match over inside um, Lou and Davis. But if you're not a Coen Brothers fan, because there are those out there that just don't get on with the Coen Brothers. And if you're not a, a fan of... If inside Lou and Davis just doesn't look like your thing, grudge match is perfectly worthy of getting you know your money this weekend. It is a perfectly entertaining fun movie I laughed enough it got me in the emotional bits where it's supposed to um, I'm not sure how much of the the end fight is actually um, them hitting each other but you know De Niro does look like he got into shape for a 70 year old and we already know that Stallone is in shape for his age anyway um, but it, it, it worked for me on a lot of levels. I'm not going to go out there and say it's a perfect film. It's it's a hearty 7.5, 8 out of 10 for me. But I, I definitely did enjoy it. And it's not the absolute car crash that some people are going to say it is, um, that, that it could have been. It is, it is fun and it works and I enjoyed it. I don't believe you, but okay. Honestly, give it a go. Give it a go, because it, 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 it'll probably surprise you uh, how amusing it is. And, and De Niro doesn't have the big kind of fucking change of heart and become a great guy uh, in it. He is a shit all the way through it. Right up to the fact that when they're about to touch gloves in the in, in the ring, um, Stallone says something, I can't remember what it is, but says something kind of quite nice. And De Niro goes, you got a surprise when you get home. And he goes, what? He goes, you got a surprise when you get home. And he took a massive dump on your porch. And because of what's happened in the film, you kind of think, I bet he has as well. <sighs> Give it a go. It's, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. I say there's a high likelihood that this could just be because it's my two movie heroes that I've given it a massive fucking pass. But you know what? I don't care. I enjoyed it. I'll watch it. It was. It was. I talk, <laughs> I, it was either I talk about that or I talk. I talked about Blue Jasmine, which I also watched. Actually, yeah. No. All right. Fine. I'm actually happy that you you did that because I don't want to hear you talk about Blue Jasmine. <laughs> what I will say is I didn't dislike Blue Jasmine. I j- just didn't do it for me. Fair enough. 
Do you know what didn't do it for me? What? My one new. Go on then, what's your one new? <laughs> right. Sorry about that. I just banged a cup. My apologies. My one new for this week. Um, it's a film that, in an alternative universe, where virtually an entirely different filmmaking team were taking it on, could have been an Oscar bobberer. And before the film came out, uh, it was being seen as a potential Oscar bobberer. And then the film came out. Do you know what film this is? No. <laughs> Diana. <laughs> oh, those tweets really amused. I'm looking forward to this now. Go on. I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm actually tempted to watch it now after what you said about it. <laughs> the thing is about Diana is that it's it's a film that I feel like anyone interested in film should watch just because it's an example of how filmmakers make the wrong decision at virtually every single fucking turn virtually every second of this film feels like it something different should have been in its place and in its own way, it does hold your attention. In its own way. Um, so the story is, uh, it's Princess Diana, um, played by Naomi Watts, um, who apparently had turned down the role a few times and then for some reason actually decided to take it. And I'm assuming Either they had some incriminating photos of, like, <laughs> Liev Schreiber, her husband, fucking a rabbit, um, or a dump truck of gold was deposited on her lawn. <laughs> and that's not a euphemism. Um, so, it's... Um, there's a terrible image in my head right yeah, now. Yeah, no, tell me about it. Um, that's what Liev Schreiber likes. Um, <laughs> maybe the filmmakers had images of Liev Schreiber doing that to her, and that's how <laughs> they it. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it's basically... Um, it's, the, it's the untold story of Princess Diana and how she had a relationship with a surgeon, Hasnat Khan, uh, played uh, by Naveen Andrews, who tries his fucking best... And, you know, to be fair, Naomi Watts, she tries, you know, um, and they get together and it's, it's alternatively a look at Diana, the way the Daily Express still talks about Diana now, 15 years on, 15, 16, 17 years on, um, but also on occasion, it tries to like take it from Khan's point of view about how dating the world's most famous woman and how that would be accepted by his family could be a bridge too far. The whole thing could be a bridge too far despite his attraction to her. And that's actually an interesting way of playing things. But when you've, you've got that framed with Princess Diana being either more saintly than Mother Teresa or a woman with the emotional development of an eight-year-old boy, then it, it, it just, it's really, really hard to 
ever take anything in it seriously. Also, uh, the way that you can't take it seriously is that the dialogue feels like it was either written by an alien or it feels like it was written in French and then translated to Russian and then the, like the entire script was put through Google into Chinese and then you had a retarded 12-year-old then translate that to English. There's one line in particular that struck me where they're watching footage of Tony Blair on TV and she actually says something. I, I don't think I'm paraphrasing here, but she says, I like Blair. He walks like he's crossing a bridge. And it's just... That's, that's a, that's a bizarre. I want, I then wanted 10 minutes on why Princess Diana thinks that walking across a bridge, A, looks different from walking normally, and B, why that makes Tony Blair more impressive. I, 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 mm, I do people walk across bridges in different ways? <laughs> that's the thing! <laughs> That's the thing. In, in 95, 96, 97, I, I mean, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Were bridges designed differently? I, I don't think so. I think we pretty much still use the suspension bridge that was designed in the um, 1920s, don't we? Yeah, so I just got a picture of Diana, like, I don't know, with her father. And whenever he gets on a bridge... He suddenly has the walk of the most, like, elegant, sophisticated man <laughs> of all time. But only when he's crossing a bridge. <laughs> so, it's just that there are many, 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 many lines in it. And, and, I mean, there are things that make your heart sink. Like Princess Diana talking about how much she likes watching Corrie and EastEnders. And it, it, it's just... The whole kind of like trying to show that she was one with the people. I mean, there are, there are sequences in the film. There's a scene where it's, has that calm and Diana walking towards the camera through this hospital corridor and every single person they walk past turn and gawp like they've just seen the face of God. It's, brutal and that but it's basically any time i mean particularly in that sequence but any time it's diana walking past people you at least one of them gawps at her and then i mean it's even to the point where at one point she dre she dresses in disguise she puts a brown wig on and she's walking along and then it's everyone turning and admiring how fucking sexy she is i it, it's it's the weirdest fucking thing. I mean, I think I said on Twitter that it's like watching it is like watching a Daily Express writer wank so much that by the end, nothing but blood is coming out. <laughs> it, it's... It's a film that wanks itself dry. It, but seriously, it, it, it is ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous isn't even the word. And I, I mean, the thing is, it became really, really fashionable to trash on this film. You know, Naomi Watts had that infamous interview with Simon Mayo when, where she walked out, and to be honest, not for any real reason, like good reason. He was trying to be as fucking diplomatic about the film as possible. But and I mean, like when when then when Kermode reviewed it, he said, you know, 
it, it's not even a one star film it's a two star film it's just really ordinary and limp on the screen it's not it's a one star what the fuck of of biblical proportions uh, uh, it is it is fucking brutal but it is like at, at times manically entertaining yeah, you see, you, you, you're kind of making me want to watch it in a and, way. Seriously, it, like I say, anyone who's a fan of film, I think should watch it, because it is the purest distillation of when everything goes wrong that I think I've ever seen. I, what the fuck Oliver Hirschbeagle is doing, I don't know. I mean, to, it feels like, you know... He came out with Downfall, and it was a smash. And then he did the invasion, he basically got kicked off of it. And it feels like he just wanted to do the safest fucking thing possible. And then didn't pay any attention to anything whatsoever throughout the entire production process. I mean, if if there is ever a film that would kill a director and a writer, I mean, whoever wrote this fucking thing, Jesus. Stephen Jeffries on it. Who's that then? Uh, he's a playwright. Is, is he? What, yeah. What fucking plays? Oh Jesus! It it just it is it, a car crash. He's he's written some you know pretty well, pretty well regarded um, player players. Okay, I've got it. He wrote this. Okay, oh, I, I mean, yeah, well, he also I think I think I think he wrote. Well, no, sorry, he did. I've got straight up. Yeah, he wrote Limiting. Yeah, uh, he did. the surprisingly decent Johnny Depp film. Yeah, I, I just... That was based on his play, actually. I mean, fair enough. I mean, the, 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 the dialogue in here, I just... I've got no idea what anyone was thinking. <laughs> it, it, it just... It, it's... It's it's brutal, and the thing the thing is, I don't hate the film because I was entertained watching it. But, is it? Oh it, my god! Is it a film that? Because um, the, the, the thing is, um, I'm a slight tangent here. Uh, it is when you go for something like this, which essentially is in its way a, a, a biopic, um, but only about a certain period in someone's life rather than their complete life, but. The way biopics often fall down is if you only show the person as being brilliant. You show none of the 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 not the badness, but you show none of the the human side of them. You know, you don't show what they do wrong or them in any kind of bad light. No, I mean like the, the the only negativity about her really is the fact that she kind of handles the relationship poorly, but. It's it's because she that doesn't seem to have any emotional development. Like I say, she's she's got she seems to have the emotional maturity of an eight year old boy. So the film kind of seems to argue it's not her fault. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, like, there's, there's... you could agree with because she was essentially groomed to be a royal, and I don't think any of them have any kind of emotional depth to them but, at but, all. Which is fa- fair enough, but the film doesn't really explain that. It's just oh, isn't she adorable? Is it is it too much of look how wonderful look how great this person was? Pretty much, yeah. Even and even even when in the third act it gets into some potentially dicey stuff where it's basically insinuating that Diana, that there are these famous shots of her on a on a boat with Dodie Alfayed, and it's basically she set them up apparently, and it was basically to try and make Hasnat Khan jealous. 
Yeah. And it, uh, it's just like, I don't know whether that was actually common knowledge that that was what was actually going on. But that's a kind of a slightly like sociopathic thing to do. It, and, and yet the film doesn't, in terms of like, I mean, Khan in, in the film, I mean, like he, he does the breaking up, but it's for very, very good reasons. In all honesty, it, you know, he's a very private person. He can't handle it. And to be fair, Diana's, her dreams of what she wants are things that they can never have. And he says that very plainly. Um, and, and, and it is sociopathic on her part. It is caring for nothing but herself. And yet the film doesn't really criticise or address that at all. It just lays it out on the screen. I, I'm done talking about it, in all honesty, Mark. But it's brutal. But it's kind of fast. It is It is car crash cinema, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> you went there. Cool. Uh, okay, so sorry, I forgot we were. Uh, I, I was uh, I was running this shit. Um, so okay, let's get into the next part of the Chiminoathon. Uh, Chiminoathon. Chiminoathon. Uh And uh, let's take a listen to the trailer to 1978's The Deer Hunter. shot is what it's all about. Deer has to be taken with one shot. Blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How sorry I am about Nick. And how I know how much you loved him, and I know that it'll never be the same. What's the matter with you? Don't you recognize me? Oh, 
Okay, so it's The Deer Hunter, starring Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, John Cazale, John Savage, Meryl Streep, and others. Uh, it is the story of... Uh, well, it's a film basically uh, broken up into three parts. Uh, before uh, they go to Vietnam, during they go to Vietnam, after they go to Vietnam, uh, where it basically focuses on the relationship between Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken's characters and how they are both irreparably changed after Nam. Uh, at least I, I think that's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark, what did you think of The Deer Hunter on, um, on Obvious Rewatch? Uh, yeah, obvious rewatch. Um, like I guess I mentioned it like last week. Um, it is one of my uh, favourite films of of all time. Uh, I absolutely adore um, the movie, but it is one of those where it's like I said, uh, it's three hours long, and it, it it feels three hours long. It does feel like it 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 feels like it takes you on a journey throughout the film, and it, it's not. A particularly easy film to watch. It, it, it's it's quite kind of grueling uh, to go through, and to say that it is um, it, it is sort of three hours long and it covers essentially a couple of years. Um, it doesn't actually cover a large expanse of time uh, within the, the 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 shifting from when it starts to when it finishes. Uh, it is like I say it's a three act kind of structure within the film, but. It isn't like Act One is uh, over a course of sort of a few months or anything like that. It is the course of essentially a day, and then um, Act Two isn't. It doesn't show you what happens to them all the way through Vietnam. It, it shows essentially two or three things that happen that could quite easily have happened within the space of of a week. And then the same thing towards towards the end in, in, in its third act. So there is that. Um, it's it is incredibly pensive. It, it's it's you know very much he has an idea of how he wants this film to look, and it it is the first time I think where he got very much he had a bit of freedom to it, and you can see the obsessiveness of it. There's a lot of shots in it where they don't really they don't in a sense. Um, narratively need to be there but you get the idea that you know, that's what he has in his head so that's what he's going to show you you could quite easily take them out of the movie and they wouldn't it wouldn't affect the story at all but maybe it would affect the atmosphere and the feel of the film um, but I, I, I still uh, very very much love this movie yeah I, I, I'm I'm a big fan as well um, I do have one slight story question that maybe we could we could get into. There's just a spe- yeah. specific scene, a bit of a coincidence for me. Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 weird to say, but in its own way, I think it's quite a lovely film because um, it's it's a film that really shows the end of an era, both in terms of like American history as a whole. But kind of like in, in in a macro sense, but in the micro sense, told through the relationships of the characters in this film and how it ends up. And I think it kind of ends up in a in a like a strangely cynical place, despite it actually being quite warm on screen. Like they're them singing a song about America and then like cheers to our friend who just shot himself in the head after getting 
psychologically scarred by Vietnam and not being mm. able to cope with it, you know. Um, but it, I, I, I love the the free act structure of the of the thing and how it does kind of feel operatic. Um, and the you know, the kind of the slice of life filmmaking in 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 the first acts and how entertaining and warm and charming and real it does actually feel uh, uh, yeah and and how that's contrasted by the third act like the the first act that bar is such a kind of a happy place filled with like love and and warmth and affection for it for each other and then by the end it's quite a cold it, yeah, they, they could barely even sort of talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it feels quite desolate. Even though the location remains the same at the start of the film, it kind of feels weirdly full of life. And then by the end, it kind of feels like the, the representat- representation of the American Midwest now. You know, yeah. with like the closing of like the, the, all, the, all, the, the, all the manufacturing plants and whatnot. It's... Um, I mean, it's it's really interesting, and it also surprised me on rewatch. I'd only watched this once before, but um, how sh- how much shorter the Nam sequence is than it than it yeah. was in my head. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is maybe in terms of a of a three hour movie, it, it's maybe you know them actually being in in Nam, uh, it, it's maybe sort of thirty five forty. I, I think it's about forty minutes between. Yeah. Like the, the end of the first act, and and I, was, I suppose in the end of the second act is when De Niro comes home, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. It, it, it's that that taxi ride, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, about it is about forty minutes. It's like an hour and five till about uh, an hour and fifty-five or something. Yeah, uh, something like that. Anyway, um, but I mean, I mean, the, the, and the Nam sequence is ridiculously intense yeah I mean there's I mean the, 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 it, it's I mean De Niro and um, Chris Walken and John Savage have all said it is the it's the most gruelling um, film they've ever worked on and it was particularly those bits um, were very much you know it, um, took them right up to it right up to the edge on it and you know the fact that all of the, you know, the slaps are all, they're all real, you know, the guy's really fucking hitting them, and off camera, De Niro is actually uh, berating the guy and getting the guy really fucking angry because he didn't think he was hitting him hard enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, I think that intensity, uh, going back, it was was still there with, with, with De Niro um, in terms of the fact that he, he really fucking did put himself through the ring of Thoris for you know his art as, as, it, as it would seem yeah yeah i mean it's it's amazing i mean like looking at looking at de niro i mean he doesn't even fucking flinch it's mm. it's it's so in the moment that it is scary and i mean i i've kind of forgotten the john savage material in in, in the film as well um, yeah. but it's really powerful um like his representation of like post-traumatic stress is amazing like that that phone call that de niro has with him Mm, um, it, it works very well, yeah. Yeah, yeah and just like the, the way he's just like, you know, I've got to go curfew. And it, 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 it's, it is great. And then when De Niro kind of forces him home, and like you see him in the in the bar with his missus, and it's just like that is not a happy relationship. Yeah, it, you know, he's there's a bit where he, he I think it, in the bar he's holding my hand, and he, he 
he goes to kind of kiss her fingers. Yeah. And he doesn't. Yeah. And then That's he quickly exactly lets go. Yeah. And then starts tapping. And it, yeah, it, he is. It, it, I mean, the, the film was quite heavily criticised in, in, in some quarters, not on a cinematic level, in the fact that, you know, this was a Vietnam film uh, that, that did show, it, it, in, a, in a way, of, of, of how much it, it, it fucked people up. I imagine it was raw as fuck for people watching it at the time. Yeah, I mean... 78, was, man. I mean, that yeah, was not long after. No, not long after. I mean, there, was, there were people picketing um, the movie, uh, screenings of the film in America, um, for it being anti-American. Um, and, you know, Gina and De Niro were very much saying, how is it anti-American? We're not, we're not in any way saying anti-American, but we're saying that you know, these things happen, you know, and as a country, we're not doing enough for the the fact that these guys, you know, a lot of them came back pretty fucked up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, like, it, it's the, the depictions of fucked up in this film are great. I mean, like, you've got De Niro's character who there's, there's not post-traumatic stress, but there's an awful lot of guilt. Yeah. It, 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 sorry, go on. Sorry, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've got that, and you've got John Savage with what is obviously post-traumatic stress, and then, and then Christopher Walken, who's just... Broken. Broken. He has snapped. Yeah, he's, he's, he's absolutely, completely, totally just gone. And they say the, the guilt thing of De Niro, of, and it's never mentioned, you don't really know uh, whether or not... Um, you know, it, it, it seems like De Niro's character uh, has has gone to Vietnam because he feels it's his duty to go there. Yeah. And maybe, um, you know, there's a, there's a feeling, it's never mentioned that John Savage has gone because, you know, he looks up to De Niro's character and, you know, if he's doing it, then it, it's the right thing to do and that's what I should do. And that Chris Walken's character, you know, has kind of also followed suit and maybe yeah. De Niro's character feels that if he hadn't have gone maybe these other guys wouldn't have gone you, I, you I mean, I mean, that, there's, there's that scene um, in the first act where the bigger guy like says to De Niro like I would you know I would be going like he's apologising for not going to yeah. it is to De Niro isn't it yeah yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so and I, I think that certainly lends credence to that yeah and it's, it, 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 there is that kind of there and you know essentially De Niro saves both um, John Savage and Chris Walken's lives, really, mm. within it. But there's a there's a, a wonderful kind of um, tenderness to the entire movie, which mm. sounds, like you say, incredibly strange when you look at what the movie's about and, and, and how it's dealt with. But, you know, the fact that John Savage is already breaking um, when they've been captured, um, and you've got De Niro just kind of with his arm around him, putting his... You know, his, his it's under his mouth and just try to calm him down. And it's a, it is an incredible performance from from John Savage. It's and it also it's always kind of forgotten about how good he is in the movie because because Walken took home the, I, I, the Oscar I, for it, I think. I movie, had yeah. for, I had forgotten about him. I won't again. Yeah, you, you know, but um, I, I, it's because I mean, like Walken is not, you know. He, he makes more, I mean, he makes more of a showy impression as, even though he's not particularly showy, he's just a bit bigger than Savage. Yeah, but, I mean, but I mean, he's not really on screen 
okay. that much. I mean, in the third act, he's only in the lot in, in that the that one scene. You know, he's in most of the first act and most of the second act, but the third act, yeah, it, it's just it, it's that one scene. Whereas John Savage is, you know, he's maybe not as prevalent in the first act, but he's definitely there. Yeah, um, and he's right. It's nitpicky because I think Chris Walken is very, very good. Oh, he's great. But, he's great. Yeah, yeah. But um, there is certainly an argument to to, to make that John Savage, because I think John Savage was nominated, I think, for for best supporting actor along with Walker. Um, there is maybe an argument to suggest that it, it, it possibly could have gone to him, certainly, and it wouldn't have been undeserving. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, I personally think I, I think De Niro. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I don't even know who, who won uh, Best Actor in, in uh, the awards in '78, but I think it is one of De Niro's best best performances that he's given. Which you know, when you're talking about Robert De Niro, um, you know, this period of Robert De Niro's career, that's insane. Something Savage wasn't nominated. Was he not nominated? No, that's crazy. Uh, for Oscars, it won Best Picture, Actor in a Supporting Role, Director, Sound and Editing. Mm. And uh, it was uh, De Niro was nominated, Street was nominated, Screenplay was nominated, and the Cinematography was nominated. Cool. Would you know, if you got up there, who, what, what, what won it that year for uh, De Niro for Best Actor? Who won it? Uh, I haven't got the Oscars up. I've just got the... Ah, um, oh, the nominations. Like, like what won, what the Deer Hunter kind of won. 79, what would the... Who would that have been? I mean, also as well, you've got um, John Cazale's um, final performance um, in a movie. Um, you know, and it's it, it, it's crazy to think that this guy was in five films. All five of them were nominated for Best Picture. Bloody hell, John Foy for Coming Home, sorry. Wow. That's not a bad performance, but... I think I know what I'd have given it to. But then again, you've got to imagine this was the the political climate of the time. I'm amazed that it won Best Picture, to be honest. Yeah, quite. Casale, um, um, was he um, ill when... Yeah, he was dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure he died um, just before it came out. Um, yeah, that's sad, but he does look... He does, he does. He does. Yeah, and I mean, I think that they shot um, all of his scenes um, first um, uh, to to kind of to ensure essentially that you know that he wouldn't die before the character was you know was was finished. Um, and Streep's character was originally more of an incidental character that was just there, um, but. To have her, because she was going to be on set pretty much all the time with um, John Cazale, you know, they they wrote her more into the script. That's interesting. It's, um, because they were they, they were an item at the time, um, and De Niro basically, uh, you know, apparently had said at one point when um, the, the studio was saying to um, Trino, you know, you can't have this guy on, you know, he, he he's dying, you can't have, you know, you have to recast him. De Niro basically said, fuck you, if he goes, I walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nice. And, you know, De Niro was, you know, they needed De Niro for this movie. Um, it's, I say, it's, it is an incredibly intense movie. Um, and it's, it, it, it's, it's a very unsettling movie. It's, but it, it does have that, 
that kind of there's a, there's certainly a heart to it. Yes, no, no. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, there is. Yeah, I mean, the, the and the, I mean, I think for me, a lot of the tenderness just comes from that one musical theme. It, yeah. it, it, you know, uh, like and, and the scenes that it, it, it is scored to. Um, See, what's the bit you had trouble with? Oh, that's interesting. Um, it, it's only it's a very, very, very minor little niggle, but the fact that Wolkins at the, the the Russian roulette thing, and then De, Niro, De Niro's watching it as well, and then De Niro goes off chasing him and whatnot. Yeah. To be honest, it kind to me, it kind of feels like the only reason why that's there is so that later on he recognises the French guy, so the French guy can lead him to Walken. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, when you're... I, I, can, I can completely see your point in, in, in that, um, that it, it, it does seem a very convenient thing to happen. I think there's, you, know, you could explain it, but it is you know, in the fact that you could see De Niro and Walken both be attracted to it because it was, you know, because of what they went through, that there's the the kind of that kind of draw to it, um, but yeah, yeah it, 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 I, 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 I can definitely agree with you that it, it is very much a convenience of, 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 of plot device, certainly. Yeah, and I mean, it just the thing is, my basis for a five out of five film is a film that I I personally wouldn't change a minute of that I'm perfectly happy with what's on screen. That's my de- personal definition of a five out of five, and I know that's not everybody's. For me, because of because of that, and because that bit does bother me a bit, and it is picky, but that is why I would say this is a four point five, which is still amazing. Hmm. I mean, it's one of those films where you know I, I think it's it, it's not it, you know it, it, it is regarded as being you know a, a, a a very important movie um, but you will hear some very sort of you will hear people say that they outright you know don't like it and don't see what all the fuss is about uh, and I can certainly say you know that it is a film where it, it might not work for some people and I can certainly see that um, but it happens differently yeah I mean I I, it, I, I don't know it just it feels like a film which is talking about the Vietnam War, like I said, on, on, on a macro level, but with people, with with people, and it's about people mm. and their relationships and, you know, and guilt and jealousy and kind of lust as well, you know, with De Niro and Street, really. Because, I mean, again, those characters, the, the first act kind of sets up as if they're going to get together and it's going to be, like, really, like, kind of troublesome in the third act. And it, it, it's kind of not, but they both have a bit of an uneasiness about it. Because, like Streep says at one point, can't we just find comfort in each other? And it, it, I mean, it, I, it, it, I don't know. It, it kind of feels like there's almost like survivor's guilt between between the two of them for it. Yeah. And, 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 I, I don't know. I just think that's really interesting. I just... It's it's playing with really interesting themes and talking about larger issues, but it's not beating you over the head with the larger issues at all. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I, mean, I I think it's a cracking piece of work. That's certainly yeah. And of course, um, you've got uh, the character of Axel using a phrase that I know you adore, Ian. Oh what? Fucking air. <laughs> 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 
Oh fucking oh yeah fucking hell. yeah no he does say that doesn't he Yeah pretty much like pretty much all he actually says in the movie Yeah that's uh, true actually he, yeah. he does that and he gets fuck he has that incident with the bowling ball and Yeah the the wonderful uh, Chuck Asprey who of course uh, was a guy that De Niro and Chimino met uh, when they went visiting one of the steelworks to kind of do some research. Really? Oh, yeah, that's he, brilliant. Yeah, he, he worked on the steelworks when De Niro and because De Niro sort of spent a lot of time, sort of you know, with as he did it, you know, in this period of his career, um, you know, sort of going around the steelworks talking to people. You know, he, he lived with them for a little bit, and you know. I tried to say, can I sort of work with you a little bit? But they said, no, it's far too dangerous. You have no experience. You might die. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but it, they they met this guy, Chuck Aspen, who was the guy who was sort of showing around and giving it and, you know, was sort of really got on really well and just sort of said, right, this character is perfect for you. It's you. Will you do it? And he was like, yeah. And he was, I think he was, he was he was cast before anybody else. Oh, that's great. Um, and you know he he went on to I think he made the movie he did a few other little bits but not he didn't do like a Ali Emery where he went off and so I sort of actually started trying to be an actor he went back to working in the uh, in the steelworks after yeah. the movie. Bloody hell! Oh, fair play. That's 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 I, I great. Think, I think he remained. Uh, I, I think he, he he remained a friend of De Niro's for years afterwards. Oh, fantastic. That's oh, that's great. That's <laughs> I just yeah. quite, I, I love that. That's brilliant. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'll just I, I suppose we're wrapping up, and I'll yeah, say, yeah, I think we're 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 John Savage actually wasn't originally cast uh, in the movie. Uh, he came into it when Roy um, Scheider um, dropped out two weeks before filming started. I'm glad Roy Scheider wasn't in this because that would have been distracting. Yeah. I like I like that it. Do you know what Roy Scheider did instead? Uh, that French Connection. Jotu. Oh, brutal! No, the French Connection would have been years before that. Yeah. Oh, was brutal, really. To, uh, more contractual obligation than than out of choice. Yeah. Oh well, I don't know. I'm I am glad of that to be honest. Yeah, I think I, I, think, I think John Savage certainly worked better in it than than, than Schneider would have done. Yeah. Nice. Um. So yeah. Um. Next week. That's interesting. Um. Next week, Heaven's Gate. Uh, yes. For how how long is it? Um, it is um, two and a half weeks long. Um, I, I think uh, the full restoration. If you give me two seconds, I shall go and pick it up and read it off the back of the Blu-ray player. Oh God, I've just seen how long it is. Three hours thirty-nine minutes. Yeah, it is two hundred and sixteen minutes. Fuck me sideways. Oh, That's, God. So if you start watching it when we when we finish recording it, Ian, you might have finished it by the time we get back. I tell you what, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it because it, like, cause it's a film I know I should watch, but blimey, Charlie, that's going to take some doing, that is. Mm. Yeah, it really is. But, I'm yeah. going to watch it all in one sitting, by the way. Fucking hell. I... 
I tell you what, I had to watch the Deer Hunter in like four. I watched the Deer Hunter this morning. I started watching it at half eight this morning. I, it just that nice. I, I that's my life now. I can't. Yes. I can't uh, watch a film all the way through in one sitting. There is no way you're getting what three three hours forty. Three hours forty minutes. Yeah, was five minutes. There's the no o- way the only fight. way I could, I, the only way I could possibly do that, is if Donna went to bed at like nine o'clock, and Lottie was asleep, right from pretty much the start until right at the end of the fucking film. Yeah, that would be the only way. So basically, I'm going to be watching this in about fifteen sittings. I will be watching it on probably Thursday night. And I'll be watch all yeah Thursday night or possibly next Sunday morning. Blimey, Charlie! But I will try and watch it all in one thing. Right, yeah. So that's next week. Um, I, 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 I am I am looking forward to it. It's just it's a fucking undertaking. What's that name of you next week? Um. Oh, do you know what I was going to suggest? Um, it's on um USVOD now. The um, Big Bad Wolves. Oh yes, yeah. Um, because I don't think there's, I think the big release next week, uh, sorry, folks, production meeting, um, the, the big week, uh, the big release is, um, Lone Survivor, I think, and I'm not, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd talk about that, but I'm not super bothered about it. Yeah, we'll do Big Uh, what have we got? I, Frankenstein, Out of the Furnace, That Awkward Moment, uh, Lone Survivor, The Armstrong Lie, um, yeah, yeah, no, I'd be happy to go with that instead then, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that, yeah. Sweet, okay, so, um, yeah, cool, so next week we'll be doing Big Bad Wolves, which was uh, Quentin Tarantino's favourite film of last year, apparently, so that's something. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Nice. Uh, okay, so we've got one Twitter question. I think so, yeah, just one. Fuckers. Um, so it is... Uh, Tom yeah, you've been a bit lax for that. Pull your fucking finger out, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, too right, too right. Um, so this is um, Thomas DJ who says, um, I actually don't have the exact wording of it here. Um, bear with me. Uh, fucking hell, come on. Uh, what one misconception fostered by the movies would you like cleared up? Ooh. That's a fucking interesting question. Uh... All people from England live in London and have Cockney accents. Oh, that's a good one. Julia Roberts is pretty. I'll tell you what, I would say the Welsh Valleys don't look like what they do in World War Z, but they do. (laughs) Um, Here's here's one, and this is going to sound like a really strange one, but in real life, right... 90% 90% of all punches thrown will not knock the person down. Oh, that's a good one. Fuck, that's yeah. a good one. I've been punched a few times in my life, and I'm not, I'm, I, I am not a strong person or anything like that, but I've only ever been punched where I've fallen on the floor once, and it's my girl. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, if, if, if I can get punched and not, immediately fall down I think the majority of guys in movies that get punched that immediately fall down oh I've got one phones don't connect nearly as quickly as they do in films yeah I want that cleared up yeah I I want a film where someone has to dial a number and then listen to ring ring (laughs) yeah and also 
Yeah, I know. I can definitely get on board with that one. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's gonna getting, be it for Doodle the Monkey. Also, getting thrown through a window will not cut you in any way at all. Oh, <laughs> Nice. Unless <laughs> someone's been lying to me all this time, like, all the glass in everyone's house is made of breakaway glass. I'm pretty sure that if I jump through my window... Also, another thing. If I attempted to jump through my window, I, the chances of me actually going through it first time are quite slim. <laughs> you should try it. Um, I, I'm not, not going to, again. <laughs> nice. Um, bloody hell. Okay, so... Um, that's going to do it for Dude and the Monkey episode 51. We're literally a minute away from my time limit. So, um, so which, which just happened purely by accident. Yeah, no, that was good, actually. Um, so next week, Big Bad Wolves and Heaven's Gate. At Ian Loring, at Dude Foz, at Dude and the Monkey, and Dude and the Monkey at gmail.com. Anything else to say, Mark? Um, yeah, let us say, uh, if, say it every week. If you want to give us a Twitter question, give us it whenever during the week, because we do have a bit of fun with, with answering them. Um, so we do appreciate them coming in. Thank you. Totally. Absolutely. 100%. So um, that's going to do it. And have a good week, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.